You know, I've always been fascinated by stories of endurance. I love reading or listening to audiobooks about true life adventures, true stories of adventure that involved people having to endure hardship. I love the story of Sir Ernest Shackleton and his voyage down south. Several months ago, Stephen, when he preached, he mentioned uh, that great voyage. I love things in the Himalayas, climbing expeditions, people who endured incredible odds. I love listening to people who got stranded and had to float on a raft across the ocean, and somehow they survived. The book Unbroken comes to my mind as a powerful story of endurance. I like reading these stories, and I like learning about them, probably because I can do it from the comfort of my own home, where I don't have to endure anything, right? You can just learn about how the other people suffered and endured, and you feel encouraged and inspired by what they did, but it's easy to sit in our comfortable homes, climate-controlled, and not be enduring. Recently, Sarah and I just listened to an audiobook about President Roosevelt, who went down to Brazil to chart an uncharted river called the Rio Dubida, the River of Doubt. They didn't know where it went to, how it connected. And he almost lost his life. It was a crazy story. But eventually, they put that river on the map. And if you look at the map today, you'll see it's now called the Roosevelt. They named a whole river, major tributary of the Amazon River, after him. But they endured the Amazon in Brazil. They, they named it after him. And one of the things they had to endure were all the bugs being wet constantly, never having dry socks to change into, dry underwear. All of the, the, the jungle was a very oppressive place. They had to endure it. But you know, tomorrow marks, uh, it's actually the awards ceremony for an endurance race. One of the greatest endurance races in the world, in my opinion. Tomorrow is the awards ceremony for the Iditarod. That great sled dog race, 670-some miles across the Arctic tundra every single year since 1970-something. But really, it commemorates something that happened in January of 1925. You see, the town of Nome, that had about 1,400 people, you really call it a village or a town, and there was only one doctor in the town. The doctor had ordered a special medicine, but because of the Arctic ice that had blocked the harbor, blocked the seas, the shipment was unable to arrive, and he found himself with a bunch of children that were sick with diphtheria, deadly illness. And he knew that there was only one remedy, and that was to get the, the serum, the antidote for this disease. But the nearest antidote was 1,000 miles away, and this was the middle of winter in January in Alaska. Of course, during those times, planes couldn't fly like that. They were open cockpit airplanes. They weren't equipped to fly in 60 below across uh, the, the great distances. Even they tried later on, and their airplane wouldn't work. There were no train uh, systems that went from Anchorage to Nome. And so the only thing they could do was to rely upon man's best friend, sled dogs. The governor ordered, he got together a team, and he said, we're going to do a relay. We're going we're to take a train 
with the, the, the anti-venom, not the anti-venom, the antidote, the serum from Anchorage up to a town about 700 miles away. And from there, we're going to rely on a system, a relay race, a race against death. And so then, uh, late January, the train arrived. You could hear the whistle piercing the cold darkness. And they knew that this 20-pound bundle of life-saving serum had arrived. They, they wrapped it in furs to insulate it against the cold. And they loaded it onto the back of the sled of the musher named Wild Bill Shannon, who took the very first leg with his nine Malamutes into the darkness, not a lot of light at all during the winter in Alaska. He set out with those dogs 60 degrees below zero. He knew if he went too fast, the dogs would breathe too much and their lungs would freeze because of breathing in the cold air. He knew if he wasn't careful, he too would freeze. So he even found himself during his 52-mile leg of the journey running beside his sled. Even that didn't keep him from getting frostbite and hypothermia. Eventually, he made it to the, to the outpost, and the next team set off into the darkness, one after one after the other, going usually in 30-mile segments. So there was one man who went 91 miles after he had already traveled 170 miles just to reach, it to, the, to reach the outpost where he could begin. But in the end, they accomplished this great feat of endurance in five and a half days, nearly half uh, what it normally took, setting a speed record at the time. And most importantly, delivering this life-giving serum to save the lives of the children and to save the lives of the 1,400 inhabitants of Nome from getting this severe epidemic. They endured frostbite, they endured hardship, they endured darkness, 60 below zero weather, because they were going with a mission to save lives. So as we open up our Bibles to continue our series in 2 Timothy, it's with this in mind, when we endure, it's for a purpose, for a mission that we've been given to save lives, and that helps drive us forward as we seek to endure the hardships that we may encounter in our Christian journey. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You'll recall that this letter was written by Paul, and he was there, held prisoner in the Mamertine prison. Last time we, we met together, we had that picture on the screen, this dark hole dug out of the stone with, with only a, a small hole in the roof through which a little bit of light could come through, a little bit of food, a little bit of water. Paul is chained there, and in his loneliness, in his darkness, he writes this letter to Timothy to encourage him and to ask Timothy to come to be of help and support. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, and we're going to continue reading this letter right now. You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. As you read First and Second Timothy, time and time again, Paul encourages this young protege of his to be strong, to have courage. We talked last time about how Timothy was a little bit timid. 
But Paul said last time, I know whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he's able to hold me, to guard me, to keep me going, and that's why I'm suffering as I do. So he's saying, Paul, Paul is saying to Timothy, be strong, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But you'll recall that just before verse 1, there's the, the literary context. This is a letter. So we see right before that, Paul had just been talking about some people who had abandoned him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. In light of the people who'd fallen away, Paul again is urging his young protege, be strong. But it wasn't just people who'd abandoned him. There were also some who were staying faithful. There was Onesiphorus, who had often refreshed Paul in verses 16 and onward of chapter 1. In light of people who were unfaithful, in light of people who were faithful, Paul's saying, be strong. And I'm so glad that the strength is not in ourselves. He wasn't calling Timothy to be strong in himself, but it was actually in the grace that was in who? In Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. And then verse 2. He says, And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will be also qualified to teach others. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Great Commission, which is to go out and make disciples and make disciples who are disciple makers. Paul is indicating to Timothy, don't just tell people what I told you. Tell people who will also tell others. The gospel is supposed to have a multiplying effect. So the things that you get blessed by in Sabbath school or through special music or in conversations that potluck or through messages here with the Word, it's not just to lodge in your own heart. It's to be passed along to other people. The things that you read in your own devotional time, it's not just for you. It's also for you to have something to share with others. We are to be discipling disciple makers. That's our mission as a church. That's what Paul was telling Timothy to do. Just don't say, wow, that was a good sermon, Paul. Take the things you heard from me, Timothy, pass it on to someone else who will pass it on to other people. And because they did that, we're here today. It was because people passed along what had been given to them that the Christian church has survived persecution, endured hardship throughout the centuries, and we sit comfortably here in the Parkwood Adventist Church today. Pass it on to others qualified to teach. And then we get to verse 3. In my Bible, I'm reading from the NIV today, it says, endure hardship. Other translations say a similar thing. It has that idea of enduring hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Indicating uh, if you're a bad soldier... You'll just run away when things get tough. But here he's saying, I want you to be a good soldier, and I want you to endure. Now, sometimes we endure hardship, and we think we're doing it for God, but we're really actually doing it because we just messed up. Right? We made a silly mistake, and now we have to suffer the cause and effect results of our mistake. That's not the, the hardship God's calling us to endure. When, when you forget to put gas in your car, 
and you run out of gas, like, we can pray to God and say, God, please help me fix the situation that I messed up, but that's probably not God making your car run out of gas. It's probably just because you forgot, right? You're going to have to endure that, but that's not the hardship that God is specifically calling upon us to endure. That's not the hardship that Timothy was called to endure. There is this hardship that we face as Christians. It comes in various categories. Now, for Paul, the most obvious was physical, right? Because he has chains on him. His skin is getting worn away by the shackles that are binding him in this prison. It's dark in this place. It's cold, or going to be cold as winter is arriving at the time of this letter. Winter is on its way. It's probably damp in there. He's not getting enough food. He's in there suffering a lot of hardship because he was faithful in preaching the gospel. Paul knew a lot about physical hardship. Probably for most of us, praise the Lord, right now we aren't experiencing physical hardship, likely for being a Christian. It might be the case for you, and the Bible talks about times in the future, but right now we have it easy. But perhaps there's social hardship. Paul was experiencing that social hardship. Last time we talked about how there was this shame on our society, how it was very shameful to be associated with somebody who was a prisoner of the state. People were abandoning him because they didn't want their reputation to be tarnished by this person who was viewed negatively. And I don't know what your family situation is like, I don't know what your friend situation is like, what your social circumstances are, but there may be times where you have to go through hardship because you are standing up for your beliefs. Now sometimes we can, once again, bring hardship on ourselves because of the way we try and share what we believe. And that's not what God is addressing here because God calls upon us to share our faith in love, right? And sometimes that's just a loving example. But there will be people who disagree. Maybe it's your work situation. If we had time, we could go around today and talk about people who've stood up and said, you know what, I don't want to work on Sabbath. God says, remember the Sabbath day and I want to keep it holy. Maybe you lost your job because of that decision. Sometimes people get a better job. And we say, praise God for that. But other times, you're laid off for a long time. And you've heard the other people with their stories about how they got a better job after they stood up for the Sabbath, and you're thinking, God, what about me? Where's my better job? I'm paying tithe, Lord, but where is my big blessing that's going to drop into my lap right now? We praise God for those awesome stories, but that doesn't happen to every single person. Sometimes we have to endure hardship because we've chosen to walk the life of faith. Sometimes it's emotional hardship, mental hardship. We could talk about a lot of things, but you get the idea. There are a lot of ways that sometimes living a life of faith calls us to endure hardship. But there's good news. There's good news. We're going to see three reasons that Paul hints at, suggests at, principles we can extract from his writings for why enduring hardship for the Christian faith is worth it every single time. So Paul says, be a good soldier, endure hardship. And then he gives 
three illustrations, three metaphors. He's given the first already. That's a soldier. He's also going to talk about an athlete and a farmer here. You'll see. Look at verse 4. He explains a little bit about what it means to be a good soldier. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs, for he wants to please his commanding officer. So in other words, if you're a soldier, you've been given a mission. Your mission is very specific, and if you start messing around on the side with things that distract you from your mission, then you're not going to be effective as a soldier. You're not going to be... um, you're not going to be accomplishing what your commanding officer has given you to do. Even if the things aren't bad, there are things that distract from the mission. That Greek word, therefore, ensnared or entangled, it, it has in other places connotations of, of like a sheep with its wool uh, caught in thorns. You get caught up in things, and it distracts you from the mission that you're sent on. We're all called to be good soldiers. We're all called on a mission. But Paul says to Timothy, and by implication to us as believers, can extract these principles, stay focused and, and disciplined as a soldier. Don't get caught up in things that slow you down. And we certainly can think about other places where Paul makes this very clear through other metaphors. And we'll take a look at that in just a moment. As a church... We have been given a mission. There are people that are dying in our community physically and spiritually. And we've been given a mission to reach them for Jesus. We don't want to be distracted by things that would slow us down from our mission, even if they're not necessarily bad things, just things that distract. Are there things in your life that you recognize might be slowing you down from the mission God has given you? Were Paul alive today, he probably would say to you, like he said to Timothy, don't be ensnared by these things. Because you have a commanding officer, our Heavenly Father, who's given you a mission, and if you endure and you follow it, he'll be well pleased with you. Reason number one for for walking the life of faith, for persevering in the faith, enduring hardship, is because we want to please our Heavenly Father. Like a child that wants to just do things to to gain the approval, which they already have, but to, to, to get that approval, that love, that affirmation from their parents. As children of God, we should long for the same from our Heavenly Father. If we love Him, we should want to please Him. Remember what Jesus said one time? He said, I always do the things that please my Father. For him, obedience wasn't simply about following rules. Obedience was saying, man, I love my father. I want to make him happy. I want to make him happy. I can even remember when I was a part of a swim team up in Sonora, Sonora Masters. And it was, I was one of the younger swimmers. We had swimmers up to in the 80s and so forth. And I remember I competed in one event It was a very endurance-based swim. And at the end, my coach, who is a a coach you didn't want to disrespect, but you knew that she was nice. She was, I I called her, she was nice but firm. And you didn't want to mess with her. But when she saw my time, although I did mess with her, anyways, (laughs) I had a little fun. But 
when she saw my time after this endurance event, she was, she was really surprised and she was pleased. And I tell you what, for, there was something about that, knowing I had pleased my coach. I had exceeded even her expectations for me. It just made me feel so good. I want to bring joy to the heart of God because you know that God, who senses everybody's pain, he has enough pain that he feels every moment. The Bible says God doesn't even sleep. Number one reason to follow after God, even if it means enduring hardship, is to please God. To bring some joy to the heart of the Father. So we don't get involved in things that distract or ensnare us from keeping the mission. Number one, soldier. Number two, verse five, athlete. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete. Now, Paul talked about an athlete in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In fact, I'd like to turn there real quick to see what else Paul had to say on the subject of being an athlete. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll look there in verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last for how long? Forever. Very good. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight as a man beating the air. No, I, I beat my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I run as a disciplined runner. I train myself as a disciplined athlete. And then he continues. Chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of that fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and into the sea. They all drank from the same spiritual food and drank from the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. As you recall, in the history of Israel, traveling through the wilderness, they had ample opportunities, but time and time again through their disbelief, they rejected God. They rejected God, and so ultimately, they didn't receive the promise of rest that God wanted them to receive. And God was sad. God was sad. But Paul here is, is putting together some important ideas, the importance of training yourself like an athlete to not only endure, but to be disciplined, because there are examples that he gives us of people who didn't live disciplined and the train wreck that, uh, of their faith and of their lives that happened is a, a reminder and a warning to all of us. So we go back to 2 Timothy, thinking about what it means to be an athlete in the spiritual sense, competing according to the rules. There are rules for our bodies, rules for our lives, 
and there's rules for the competition. No shortcuts. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no shortcut around Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Reason number one, to endure, to please our Father in heaven. Reason number two, the athlete metaphor gives us that hope of achieving a crown. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 that only one person in the regular games gets a crown, but the good news is, in this race of faith, everybody gets a crown. Good news, as you read Revelation 2 and 3, the messages to the churches, God says, to him who overcomes, I will give a crown of life. To him who overcomes, I will give authority over the nations. To him who overcomes, I will grant you to sit with me and my Father on his throne. And what's awesome about this is, it's not based on your physical stamina, or your spiritual faith, or your holiness. It's based upon what Jesus has already done, and our acceptance of that into our lives. It's like entering a marathon, and having like the champion marathon runner from wherever they're from. Uh, a lot of times it's like from Africa, you know? And amazing athletes. But we have some good marathoners in America too. They don't typically win the big ones as often. But it's like registering for a race and then them saying, hey, I'm going to give you all of my conditioning and all of my discipline and all of my, in fact, I'm going to give you my race time. Just accept it. Like Jesus has already done it. We just need to accept it. As we we're discussing in Sabbath school this morning, it's about not resisting. It's about opening up, surrendering. Reason number one to endure is we want to please our Father. The more you get to know Him, the more you're going to want to please Him. Number two, there's a crown ahead of us. That means a lot of different things, but there is a land ahead. There is a rest beyond. But you know, there are benefits right here and now in this life. Go with me real quick to Mark chapter 10. A lot of times we only think about the future benefits <clears throat> of serving God. We think, well, if I just give up a bunch of stuff now, then I'll get to enjoy myself later. It's like, well, I'll get to have ice cream later, so I'm going to work out hard now. But, but that's not actually the way Jesus paints it, because this journey now, though there are things to endure, should actually be a higher quality journey. Mark chapter 10. We'll see what we mean here. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 29. Jesus says there, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel. So there are things that they had to endure giving these things up to follow after Christ. Verse 30, will fail... No one who gave up all these things will fail to receive a hundred times as much when? Now, in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them, persecutions, he reminds us, and in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus says, sure, there will be sacrifices now, but there's also a hundred times benefit now as you follow after me. And oh yeah, by the way, there's also eternity 
and heaven and the crown thing that you get later on too. And sometimes it's harder to, to see those blessings in our life. Sometimes it's harder to recognize those things. But they exist and they are real. And no doubt you've experienced them in your own journey. Reason number one, to endure the Father loves us and we want to please Him. Number two, there's a crown ahead. There's a rest beyond. Number three, back in 2 Timothy, we get a metaphor from the agricultural industry. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive his share of the crops. Hardworking farmer. Greek word there, actually, I was surprised, is Georgos, or Georgon, which, uh, from which we get the word George, which basically means tiller of the earth. I didn't realize that. That's just a little bonus. Uh, if you know any Georges, you can tell them. Tiller of the earth. So, but here, it's a hard-working farmer, not someone who's slacking off. Somebody who's, who's doing the time, planting, sowing, pulling the weeds, doing all the things that farmers do. They're the ones, Paul says, that will be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now, we were discussing in our series a while ago about Galatians 6, verse 9, which says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't lose heart. And we saw the broad context of that spiritually, sowing to the the spiritual nature will reap spiritual results. But we saw that there's a definite time for reaping. Paul here says in 2 Timothy, the hard-working farmer will have their share of the crops. And spiritually, throughout the New Testament, this metaphor of harvest is connected to souls being saved. So the third reason to endure is because souls will be saved. People will literally be in heaven because you participated in the mission to spread the good news with them. Like, I don't know how to how stress how important this is and how awesome this will be. Imagine just one person who's saved because of the influence, combined influence of you and many others in their life through the Holy Spirit working through you. One person who's saved is going to live for how long in heaven? Forever. That's a very big number. Forever. They're going to live forever. If you add up the collective lifetimes of every person who's saved and is lost, forever is a bigger number than all of those lifetimes. So one person is going to live more life than every single person who's lost in the end. Now imagine two people being saved. Twice as much. There are so many reasons to endure this life of faith, to go through the the little hardships we go through. Paul called his physical hardships light affliction. He was stoned and left for dead. They thought he was dead, and he said, ah, it was no big deal. If Paul were alive today, he'd say, boy, there's no hardship whatsoever. Here in America... Here in Modesto, for us at least, many Christian brothers and sisters are facing great persecution around the world. Reason number one, to endure to please our Father. Reason number two, 
There's a crown and a blessed future ahead and a wonderful reality now. And reason number three, more people will be saved as a result. I think about Isaiah 53, that great prophecy looking forward to the suffering of Jesus. And there, towards the end, around about verse 10, it says something like, He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. In other words, Jesus will see the result of his suffering and he'll be satisfied because people chose to accept him. Accept what he had to, to say. Now go real quickly with me to Hebrews because I want to I focus in on that just a little bit. Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw aside, throw off everything that hinders us and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He had to endure the cross, but there was a joy set before him, and the joy was you and me accepting, making his sacrifice worthwhile. For the joy he endured. Verse 3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It continues on from there. We're called to endure, to please the Father, to receive the crown, and to have fruit from the result of the Holy Spirit working through us. Namely, people, yourself, myself, and others in the kingdom because of what God has done through you. Let's go back to 2 Timothy as we prepare to close out this passage. Remember Jesus, Paul says in verse 8, 2 Timothy 2.8, Raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel for which I am suffering, to the point of even being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Paul with shackles on him in that dungeon there in Rome, was bound by circumstances, bound by iron, but he knew God's word was not bound. Like Martin Luther, when he was imprisoned at the castle in uh, Wurtburg, he kept on writing. He knew that God's word was not bound, and many people were blessed through his influence. Paul knew that God's word would go forward. In fact, we're reading as a proof that God's word was not bound. Words came out of that prison cell and have arrived to us over 2,000 years almost of history. These words did not get locked up in that cell. They're here in our heart, here in our Bibles, and by God's grace, we will share them with other people. Verse 10, I therefore endure everything for the sake of the elect. Paul's looking forward to those who will be saved also, that they too may obtain the salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then he ends this section with a hymn. Here's a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, he will reign, we will also reign with him, that crown. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Even when we make mistakes, 
He will always be there to pick us back up. Even when we're not that good soldier that endures, his grace is sufficient for you and for me. And even when we endure hardship from our own mistakes, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Three reasons to endure. Reason number one, bring joy to the Father. Reason number two, to live the Christian life, to share your faith, is there's a crown ahead. Reason number three, souls will be saved. I think back to a time several years ago when I was involved in 2003 doing literature evangelism in the Walla Walla Valley. While we were out spreading the gospel, amen, Anita, through mega books and through uh, the like, one of our team members happened upon a lady that was walking down the sidewalk. The lady looked down, she looked discouraged, and the team member said to her, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And the lady just started to kind of break down and open up, and she said, well, you know what? I was on my way to the hardware store. I was going to buy a rope, and I was going to end it all on that bridge right over there. Team member, of course, was very concerned for her, and eventually we got her taken to the hospital where she was admitted to get some clinical help, professional help in dealing with this. She had a lot of addictions, drug addictions that she was facing. Uh, a mom had a couple of children, and just a really difficult situation. But you know, her situation improved. Praise God that he, he, he allowed us to encounter her and to help put her in touch with people who could help her with her immediate need. And later, my friend went and visited her and said, hey, how are you doing? And she said, hey, I'm doing a lot better, so much better. In fact, whenever I'm tempted to go back to those drugs, I pull up my picture of my children. I look at that picture and I choose them over these other things. She realized victory comes through enduring, but looking ahead to that prize makes the journey all worth it. Do you want to make your father happy? Amen. Keep on the path of faith. Be a disciple maker for him. There's a crown ahead and there'll be people in the kingdom through what God will do through you and through me. Let's pray. Dear Father, again we come to you and we say, help. It's one thing to talk about enduring, but it's another thing to get back into our regular lives. Although really, you are a part of our regular lives. But go back into our daily um, weekly grind and face these difficult circumstances. But I pray that we'll remember the words to Timothy, we'll remember the encouragement, and that we will desire to please you. We'll be strengthened by your Holy Spirit, and that you will use us to reach others for you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.